All right. Let's pretend like I just sat down here. None of that happened, shall we? Good morning, everybody. My name is Tom. So glad to be here with you this morning. Um, we are reviewing our, our mission. We just simply love God, love others. Uh, for those of you who have been around for a while, you may know or remember that I coached CrossFit classes for a very long time. And I, I absolutely loved my time coaching those classes. Um, I got to meet people I never would have met. I got to share the gospel with people I never would have had that opportunity before. I got to perform a couple of CrossFit weddings. Um, I once preached a sermon here at Crossroads where I brought in the owner of the gym and we talked about the similarities between CrossFit and Crossroads. And um, it was a big part of my life for a very long time. When I first started as the new guy, I got the early morning classes. So I coached three mornings a week at 5.30, 6.30 a.m., which meant I was up at 4.30. Also at this time, um, our family kind of experienced a, a new level of struggle, right? And so on one of, these, one of these CrossFit mornings, there was an incident, episode, whatever you want to call it, of this, of this struggle. And it had been going on for a while. And um, my heart was broken. I was frustrated. I was feeling overwhelmed. And so I get in the car and I'm driving away and I'm screaming at God. I'm like, where are you? What are you doing? Why won't you help us? So much so that when I got to the gym, somebody said, what's the matter with your voice? And I lied. And I said, well, I must have a little cold or something. So your pastor yells at God and he lies. So, um, I tell you this because I want to recognize the fact that as we talk about loving God and loving others, um, it's not always easy, right? In addition to my screaming and ranting and raving in the car, I've heard from other people things like, God is angry at me, God hates me, God is a sadist, God doesn't care. And so we, we hear those things, we experience those things, and then we read. Rudy, I'm going to ask you to um, do the slides as I read this passage, okay? This is from... Um, one of the pastoral letters, one of Jesus' closest friends, John, wrote this to a church that was undergoing their own set of struggles. And this is what he writes to them about the character of God and how we should interact with each other based on the character of God. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is... <clears throat> This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and we rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. 
Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. All right, so here's the summary of that almost 20 verses. I got it, Rudy. God is love, right? God demonstrates his love. God's love is available to us. God wants, God empowers us through his spirit to love. And in this world, we are like Jesus. Uh, that last one, like it's still, every time I read that, that last one kind of hits me. We, we got to do some, some work to, to understand that. In this world, we are like Jesus. So we read that, right? And we have this, this struggle. Um, the summary of the summary, right? Or the big idea for today is there exists an interdependent relationship between loving God and loving others. An interdependent relationship between loving God and loving others. This struggle exists. As we... Why, right? We read these things about God and how he exists and how he wants to exist in us and through us. Why does this struggle exist? At a very high level, generally speaking, we could just say sin, right? Not in the sense of you lied to me or somebody stole my car. Yes, that not less than that, but way more than that, in that a very long time ago, sin and death entered into the cosmos and have been wreaking havoc ever since, okay? Specifically, what that sin looks like, it turns in the way that we treat each other impacts our ability to connect with, to attach to God, right? So the way that we treat each other has a direct, direct bearing on that. If you guys were with us way back when we did Philippians, this is the first time I shared this little diagram with you, right? Jesus wants to be the central organizing relationship in our life, right? He wants us to attach to him. The little dots are us, right? And as we move closer to Jesus, we grow closer to one another. That's the design. That's how it's supposed to work. When we put anything else in that center other than Jesus, it doesn't work. When we attach to anything other than Jesus, it, that's sin, right? Whether, whatever it might be, right? I, I just, in this slide, ideology, politics, false gods, relationships, substance, whatever it is, whatever we look to for provision, for life, for identity, that we organize our life around, that we turn to when things go badly, and we put that in the center, there might be some other people who have that same thing in the center. We'll move closer to them, but we're not going to move any closer to the people that God created us to be. So <clears throat> why, um, why would we put anything else in the center? We read all these things about God. We look and we see evidence of his existence and creation, and, and there is good things that happen in the world. So why would we choose to put anything else in the center? goes back to the idea there's an interdependent relationship between loving God and loving others and it goes back to our very first caregivers or parents and right let me just throw this out there this is not a witch hunt we're not looking to blame our parents the lens that I have found very helpful to look through when we think about things like this is that 
the vast majority of all of our parents did the very best with what they had, right? And so we're not looking to, to point a finger at anybody, but it's our parents who teach us what attachment is, that central organizing relationship. When, um, when we, so mom and dad have a couple of primary attachment responsibilities, provision, food, right? They're also supposed to let us know that somebody's glad to be with us. Mommy and daddy's face lights up when, when they're with us. And um, as, we, as we grow, that, that, that morphs a little bit, right? It's, okay, mommy and daddy are here. They're going to go away, but they're going to come back. Or as I continue to grow, I go away, and when I come back, they're still there. We got that. So there's like the, the provision that they're glad to be with us, that they're going to be there. They're going to be appropriately available, meaning on the, the baby, the child's timeline, when the child has needs, when the child, not on the parent's timeline, right? That's one of the hardest adjustments about becoming a parent is <laughs> living by somebody else's, living by somebody else's is timeline. As we continue to grow, there's kind of these three questions that are built into our our framework. Is anyone available to help? Will this current distress be alleviated? And do I have agency to impact my world? You guys who know me know that this is not a, my original work because it's an alliteration, right? Available, alleviated, agency. The three, the three A's. The design is, is that the answer to each of those questions is supposed to be yes, right? If we have secure attachments with those primary caregivers and the people who are, are around us, the answer is supposed to be yes. When, if mom and dad aren't glad to see us, if they're not available on our timeline, if we really wanna be around mom and dad but they're the ones that we're most afraid of, we develop insecure attachments, right? We learn how to attach to God by how all this stuff comes together, right? How we attach to our, to our parents and our primary caregivers. And that impacts absolutely everything, absolutely everything. So we can, right, we can um, grow into secure attachments regardless of our background, regardless of what has happened um, or hasn't happened. We can grow into secure attachments where we can love God and love others well. And so here, um, we talk about our mission here at Crossroads, love God, love others. The other thing that we have is what we call our model. And right, we talk a lot about up, in, and out. Right? And the, um, the thing with up, in, and out is there's directionality to it. So we attach to Jesus, right? And if I... My finger is not going to want to draw an arrow, but there's supposed to be directionality. We love Jesus. He empowers us through the work of his Holy Spirit. We experience his love, and then that comes down to in, right, to our brothers and sisters in Christ. In. And then we, in turn, love each other and take that love and go out into the world, right? I was supposed to have a, a not a handheld microphone, and I had a little pointer thing that was going to work with this, so best laid plans, right? All right. Um, 
So there's, there's a directionality to it. In the New Testament, we've talked about this before, there are 59 commands regarding, they're called the one another's, right? How we are to treat one another, how we can help each other attach to God and attach to one another, how we can become the people that God created us to be. These are a couple different thoughts to help us get our mind around um, that idea of how we help each other become the people that God created us to be. We will be transformed by who we love. Our character will be changed through loving attachments. We will see others as God sees them in real time. This is the intention toward love, even love of enemies. The different quote, arguing with people that God loves them does not produce any sustained sense of God's hesed presence. Hesed is that idea of sticky love, right? Last one, feeling God is my enemy is not corrected by pointing out wrong or right beliefs about God. In such cases, a significant attachment to God's people often makes a difference. That's from a book by um, James Wilder, who he, it's a really interesting read because he wrote it kind of with Dallas Willard, but it was after Dallas Willard died. So the chapters go back and forth between Wilder's thoughts and then Dallas Willard, and um, they present this idea about how we attach to God and how that affects um, our attachment with others and, and vice, vice versa. These quotes, the 59 one another's pieces of scripture, um, all speak to the strength of this attachment drive that we, that, that's how God created us, right? And he wants that attachment drive to be directed towards him. The other thing that, um, well, our, so our brains kind of enclose, right? Like the whole, the whole attachment system. And when we think about our brains, they play a huge role. You guys, I cannot, um, I cannot stress how important this stuff is. When I first started to learn some of this stuff, my mind was absolutely blown, right? Some of the, um, you know, there's no, no hiding any of the, like, church scandal that exists in the world or the difficulty that exists in relationships in any sort of given circles. And as we understand how God made us, right, and how he made us to grow in his image, it can change everything, right? So if you're sitting there thinking, why is Tom about to give us a physiology lesson in the brain? You guys, I cannot understand, I cannot underestimate the importance of what this is, right? So our left brain, our left brain thinks linearly. It's the decision maker. It's where truth is stored. It's where knowledge is accumulated, and it's where we make decisions. It's like where we think about the human will. It updates itself five times a second. It's fast, right? The right side of our brain is the relational side. It's where the attachment center and the identity center is. It's the part of us that says, okay, this is what it's like you to do in this situation. Based upon your people, this is what it's like my people to do in this situation. Whoever you are attached to will shape how you act. The right side of your brain updates itself six times a second. That means it works faster than the left side. It, it works faster than conscious thought, which explains things like the old cutoff flip off. You get cut off in traffic and you out of reflex, you flip somebody off, right? 
we don't, our brain has some pre, like it's a filing cabinet. Like, okay, my people don't take crap from anybody, whatever, whatever it might be. Like that's, that person is out to get me. And out of instinct, that hand goes out. You thought I was going to do it, didn't you? You got scared there for a minute. <laughs> right? So our, we, the idea is to grow our characters, to change from the inside out, to update the right side of our brain, the part that works faster than conscious thought. So our knee-jerk reaction is love. Right? Uh, even love of our enemies. And that's not, that's not easy to do. Going back to those quotes, going back to the scripture, we have to rely on other people. So make, make no mistake, like Leanne did such a great job leading through communion. Jesus does the heavy lifting. It's, it's his grace, it's his effort that opens the door to relationship with him. But we still have work to do, right? We live in this broken, messed up world that impacts us. So we still have work to do. So we go back to the, to the diagram. I'm not going to try to draw anymore. Um, we go back to the diagram and we think about, we attach to Jesus. That love that we have from Jesus, we share with each other. And then those are the people who are responsible for teaching us how we love our enemies. Right? As I thought about Okay, we got to review love God, love others. We talk about that a lot. But I really wanted to hang on this idea that Jesus challenges us, commands us to love our enemies. Those who are difficult, those who we don't necessarily enjoy, people who would be not nice to us, maybe even people who would do us harm. And how do we love those people? I think, um, man, I, I think this could be the hardest part of following Jesus. More than studying scripture, more than praying, more than being financially generous, more than representing Jesus well in the world, like loving our enemies, I think could be the hardest thing to do. So the way that this is supposed to work is that um, we, we attach ourselves to other people who love their enemies right we need that role model and there is you know while while the church in general and this church specifically that in direction i think we're really strong right we love each other well i, I can't think of any group crossroads included that consistently loves their enemies well can you imagine what church would be like Right? If it were a place where people who looked different and sounded differently and thought differently were welcomed and had the opportunity to be around people who were already attached to Jesus, like that's, that's what the church is supposed to be. So we have an attachment relationship with Jesus. And then we find somebody maybe who's further down the road, who's a little bit more mature, who we've seen evidence of spiritual maturity in. And we ask them, right, how do you love your enemies? Maybe even we get an opportunity, right, who's somebody who's given us a hard time. And that attachment person we have, we can watch them love that person in front of us. 
And then our brain updates those files. Like, oh, this is what it's like my people to do in front of our enemies. And then we gotta, we build up a little bank of those files that show us what loving our enemies is like. Right, so here's, here's a little, here's the challenge. I want you to identify two people, right? The first one is that spiritually mature person who you can ask, how do they love their enemies? What do they do? Maybe even ask to spend some time with them, right? Sometimes the people, like if you go over to somebody's house for dinner and it hasn't been a great day, you get to experience how you treat a, you know, maybe a temporary enemy, but there could be some, some stuff going on right in the house and you watch how people interact with one another when things aren't going their greatest. Ask, find that person, ask them to tag along how they love their enemies. The other person, I want you to identify somebody with whom you have a hard time, somebody you find difficult, somebody who could fall under that category of enemy. And I want you to pray for them daily. Right? I want you to pray, pray blessing for them. I want you to pray that God would move in their lives. I want you to pray that God would move around their lives and their circumstances to draw them closer to God. Right? So pick two. That spiritually mature person and then that other person who you find more, more difficult. I will um, wrap this up with this. I, um, I have, me and my family have been so blessed to experience the life-changing love that exists in this community. Right? I, I, would, I could never list all of the things that people have done for us and with us. And I would, I would never try because I would feel terrible. I would leave somebody out. But just simple acts of kindness, financial gifts, prayers, coffees, beers, hikes, rounds of golf, all of it. And attached to these people who show me God's love, that empowers me to show that love to other people. Right? And so we we got to be conscious of that. And then together, we work on this idea of loving enemies and transforming this place into a community that our brain says, hey, what is it like cross a crossroader to do in this situation? I love my enemy. That's what I do. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your perfect example of what it means to love our enemies. As you hung on the cross, you said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus, would you make us the kind of people that love our enemies? God, would you encourage us to build one another up? Would you make us good role models for one another? Father, I pray for any person in this room who doesn't have that attached relationship to you. God, that you would break into their life right now in this moment and they would turn to you and they would confess you as Lord, confess the things that they've done that come between you and them and you would draw them in. God, we thank you for those relationships that are out there that we don't even know about yet. God, those people who look and think and act differently than we do, but that if we 
are serious about loving our enemies, we will create a place where they're welcome and they can come to know you and grow in you. Jesus, we thank you for this time. We love you.